All right. I listened to the last podcast yesterday morning on the way to work. So I am, I'm ready. You're caught up. Yep. I'm all cut. <laughs> you realize that you were at the recording, right? So that you should already <laughs> be caught up. This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and Mouths of Bliss. Welcome to Beers with Talos, episode 45. Today is January 18th, 2019. And today we are going to talk a little bit about Emotet, Pi-Locky, Soho devices, and why they still keep getting attacked so prolifically. We also have a new IDA plugin, DDR, to talk about towards the end of the show there. So I'm trying to start a podcast. Matt is chewing. Nigel's playing with microphones. I'm pretty sure Craig is... I don't know. Just, just the data science part. Dude. <laughs> just, yeah, oh, good God. We're going to start today off similar to how we start off every episode. We have done the random sort. Nigel, today is your day. You are up first, sir. So, top of mind then. Well, let me tell you, there's a couple of things. <laughs> first of all... <laughs> First of all, number one, oh, I spent knows where this is going. So, this is so good. Last night, last night was glorious because I sat down and watched the uh, season two, episode one of Discovery, which came out last night. And then uh, after that, I watched season three, episode one of the Grand Tour. As oh, well. that's right. It did come oh, out. I saw it on my uh, you know, Apple yeah. TV and I didn't hit the button. It was awesome. It was so good. I watched it twice. Yeah? Well, the Grand Tour one, yeah. I did watch that twice. And uh, yeah, fantastic. And then, of course, you know. Friends of yours on that show, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows everybody else in England. You know, I mean, he's <laughs> just yeah, a very the same big school. country. <laughs> right? Yeah, everybody went to the same place. Yeah, yeah I figured that's yeah. how it was. Um, <laughs> I think actually James May would have been in my year at school. And I almost went to the same university he went to, but uh, we did not cross paths that way. So you guys are like basically besties. Yeah, basically. That's like, you know, next door neighbors almost, right? And um, yeah. And then, of course, tomorrow we have uh, the Crystal Palace coming to visit. Um, The Mighty Reds, of course, will be victorious and glorious tomorrow. Uh, as they march out triumphant again on our way to the uh, English Premier League title. Um, Crystal Palace with six, six wins this year against the Mighty Reds, 18. Correct. That's it still right. sounds like a shady mega church to me. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> Absolutely. Please right. give generously. Please. <laughs> 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 We've actually had a couple of injury scares, re- scares recently, Mitchell, but it's looking it's looking better. Um, it, it looks like Trent actually may could even be fit for tomorrow. I don't Trent, I don't Trent think they'll play him. Uh, yeah, Trent Reznor. And then yeah, um, yeah, Trent Reznor's playing midfield now <laughs> for the right. Mighty Reds. I don't know if you knew that. And then um, well, I think we'll probably drop Fabinho in at uh, at centre back instead. Uh, you know, to just to cover there a little bit, and then we'll and we're almost. We almost have Alex Oxlade Chamberlain back in the fold. He's training again and running around outside and things. So it's looking good on that front. So, yeah, we're marching. Marching on. Nigel, after having watched the Reds for the last, I don't know, eight years <coughs> being under your wing, can mm-hmm. I just tell you how amazing it is? I'm looking at the league table. They've only given up 10 goals this year. I know, right? That That's is incredible, yeah. isn't it? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the kind of difference that happens when you bring in Virgil Van Dyke 
at center half, right? So all of a sudden, if you look look at the stats, uh, 50 games before he joined and the 50 games since he joined, and the difference it's is quite telling. Amazing. What you're saying. Yeah. Goals against. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. The yeah. next Dropped. closest goals against Dropped. is 17. Yeah. Like, it's just. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the lowest we've ever gone for a season was uh, 16 goals against. And that was when it was. Uh, we actually, it was uh, 42 games a season back in like the early 1980s. And they meant 16. 16 goals against that. Nigel was there for that as well. I just want I to was that indeed out. there for that one. <laughs> he had yes, just turned indeed. 60. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah, he, he had just gotten his senior citizen's right. discount that season. Goes, yeah. So that was a memorable one. That reminds me of my favorite my favorite Liverpool video I've ever seen. Um, they're, they're, I don't know what game it was, but they're watching the cop. And in the front of the cop is a whole row of people in wheelchairs um uh-huh. for accessible so they get a really good view and um they score and 90 percent of them stand up and cheer and it was <laughs> the funniest thing <laughs> yeah it's a true story oh my goodness craig you are up next sir what is on your mind today oh man where was i the other day i was Talking to somebody, and of course, somebody had to bring up blockchain again. Like, I just, you know, we've talked about blockchain and cryptocurrency. Have we? I don't think we've don't think we uh, talked about it. A little bit. That. And <laughs> I, I, I don't understand it. You know, I, I really <laughs> would like to discuss. You don't understand why, blockchain, or you, you. I think it's interesting <laughs> how people seem fixated with blockchain when they don't seem to fundamentally understand what yeah, it is. Honestly, if, if, if I hadn't seen some very intelligent people backing blockchain, I, I would have it as like an intelligence chest. Like if you're a big blockchain fan, I would just like, you're an idiot. But yeah. it's just some <laughs> really smart people are behind it. But man, just. I ah. mean, if you're into smuggling or like selling something illegal, it's perfect. It is but like hotness. short of that. <laughs> or really, really slow databases. Yeah. I had this conversation. There was one of the guys I was in India with is a crypto crazy. Yeah. Oh. Like he's super <laughs> Was his name Warren? In on this blockchain stuff. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, at least, at least, at least this guy is like, he's like, listen, dude, I'm just going where people are paying me and that's where people are all paying right. me right well, now. You know, it's hard so to argue with. I'm yeah. all about it. And, but I mean, I, I tried to have this conversation. I'm like, so what is the killer app? Like, why is this needed and necessary that other things that already exist and do the thing better don't do? And I still am waiting for an answer right. on that. Well, so, you know, let us know. Yeah, when I mean, you that's, get there. that's kind of my thing is <laughs> I, I acknowledge there are very few specific use cases where it makes sense. But I would argue 98.9% of the time, whatever problem you're trying to solve is better solved in another way. You know, it's not like blockchain popped up and all of a sudden a whole new class of problems arrived, right? We'd already solved these problems and someone was like, hey, what if we take this new technology and kind of cram a round peg in a square hole and call it a victory? You can certainly do that. I've never, I mean, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. It is, it is just like, you know, intellectual you know, snake oil to a large yeah, extent. Right. 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 And, and the whole, yeah, it's like the whole thing about like, if you attach blockchain to a stock, the stock will go up or just, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. nobody understands what, it. What was the thing before blockchain? Let's think back 
several yeah, years. Machi- what? Uh, machine learning is the closest thing I can think of. Yeah, but like, I'm talking about like back, let's think 2005. 2000. Okay. Oh, man, if you go I don't remember that far back. I would have gone with the year 2000 if you'd give me a few more years. I can see how there's personal or like, uh, you know, non-business class solutions that blockchain enables that are, are pretty mm-hmm. neat, are pretty cool. I'm specifically questioning what the enterprise class right. use of well, blockchain yeah, is. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're smuggling stuff and you don't really want people <laughs> to know what's in a container, right? No, 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 no. No, I think I think there's legitimate use for it in like supply chain, right? How so? Yeah, yeah I can see that. That's the closest I can get, though. Okay. Like you can, you know, there's immutable, there's extra security things afforded there as far as like not being able to change, right? Change your software on the chip from the time the chip is made to the time it ships to the end customer, right? That's a decent. That's that could be a plausible use for it. But how is that? But how blockchain? does blockchain address that? Right. Well, you write your MD5 of your of your software <laughs> into the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. and now, yeah. That's sure. not the back problem the, we're having. The like, that's we're whole. Correct. Uh, that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to think of something go, that it could stop yeah. with blockchain. Go patch your shit. Right. Yeah. right. That's, <laughs> the problems that we're having are not. Can that be our new T-shirt? Oh my god! And this is how the roundtable. No, this is a good roundtable because we're actually talking about security crap during the roundtable. It's fantastic. No, and I honestly, honestly, I want more people to ask this question. Right when people see a startup and they're like, "Now with blockchain, they need to go." Yeah. Well, what are you using it for? Why would you use that and not a certificate? Well, that's, that's right. Like, like why would you want it to be? Slower? What the hell were you using that this is a better? <laughs> well, solution? I tell you what. So we do we do a lot of um, uh, we evaluate a lot of new new companies and new technologies uh, as part of our work. Each of us, and and I did get an honest answer from someone once we asked, like, well, we want to we want to put forward a blockchain enabled thing, and I'm not going to say what because it would it would probably give away yeah. who it was, but a blockchain enabled thing, and, and it made. As little sense as it does anything else. And I was like, why? <laughs> why would you do this? And they're like, oh, well, we want to cash in on the cachet that blockchain has right now. And I'm like, ah, yes. Ah. That is a <laughs> That's valid the answer. Yes. But <laughs> well, see that stack of money? I'd like Same answer I got from my buddy. He's like, dude, that's, that's where the money is. Yeah, I get that. That's completely it's like, defendable. It's the weirdest thing. It's like trying to understand why money has value. Like it's just because everybody <laughs> thinks blockchain is something, therefore right. it's something. Right. One day everyone's going to wake up and be like, "What in the f- have we been doing for the last three years? Yeah. This is all bullshit." <laughs> and then you'll never hear about blockchain again. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could. I mean, you could use it for, um, like SSL certificate validation, right? But, right. Okay. You know, why do I want to add all that extra overhead to it? I, I'm not sure. Then how do you unvalidate it? It's permanently right. written into your blockchain. So then you got to right. read the then whole blockchain to make sure it hasn't been subsequently devalued. You know, whatever. Again, not a problem we're having. Correct. All right. the problems that existed before blockchain came out are still your biggest problem. And, and, and probably <laughs> if we had that problem, it would be in such a way that they probably would have access to write to the blockchain anyway. Right. Because right. it's not like people are manufacturing fake XSL certs. They're it's pretty much, creating valid certs. Yeah. You know, it's pretty much a solution thoughts. in search of a problem, I think. Uh, it's, uh, Craig, rumor has it you're hiring. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, you know, right now we're looking to hire people on the outreach team in California. Literally uh, we're gonna in California. <laughs> Yeah, in California. Well, I said the Bay Area last time, and we had people like applying from Europe who live near a bay. And just, I like, I, I guess I like, understand specific, the confusion. Yeah. Mm, technically correct. Is the Bay kind of correct? 
we interviewed him just to, just in case, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're looking to hire outreach people out in California in the Bay Area. You know, outreach at a really high level is basically a security researcher that's interested in doing research that will become public, right? Very little of what we do is going to be, uh, you know, customer centric where we can't share it. Just about everything we do is going to be public focused, released for free and shared with people through conferences, blog posts, white papers and things like that. We're going to have several recs open over the next few quarters. So if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out. Uh, obviously you can go to talusintelligence.com and apply or reach out to me on Twitter if you have any questions. A lot of the, the externally visible research that we do is, is put out there by our outreach team. So if you have great presentation yep. skills, definitely great yep. writing skills, uh, <laughs> you know, make sure to drop us a resume. Is this like a, is this like a choose two? <laughs> How does this work? Yes, this choose two. Two That's, are writing and speaking. The other one's yeah. questionable. <laughs> Maybe choose writing twice, Craig. See what it gets you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hiring too, Mitchell. I'm hiring people who, you know, work on databases and I'm also hiring people who uh, work on, uh, ad, you know, systems and uh, networks and things like that. That's Basically, right. I'm hiring all the people who work for a living. Oh, you're hiring the people who run the things Correct. that run They'll the do work. all the things. Yes. God, working for a living sounds awful. It is. You don't want to do that, do you? Yeah. Are you hiring people who don't work for a living, Matt? Is that? Oh, what none I'm... of my people work. You'll never see. <laughs> you'll never see one of them lift a finger to do anything. Speaking of working for a living, uh, over in our corner of the world, it's been a it's been a crazy week, yeah. Joel. Do you want to do you want to chat about this? How 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 the week has gone? What's it's been, been going fantastic. on in your world? You know what I love? Product software launches. That's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. <laughs> um, the launch is the fun part. Yeah, everything else is a pain in the ass. That's true. Uh, so for past I don't know six seven months, uh, we've been writing a completely new ticketing system that basically enables our customers to go on to talusintelligence.com. And file a ticket for the reputation of IPs and domains and URLs. And, you know, if you want to uh, categorize URLs or domains, you know, so if you think something is, you know, business as opposed to, you know, I don't know, computer security Paul. or vice versa or whatever. And now we're writing those <laughs> no, we're to the blockchain. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, we wrote a completely new ticketing system that 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 enables uh, that to be very transparent and very easy for the customer. It allows the customer to see the results of their ticket in real time, which I know is kind of shocking for some people. But um, we've been working really hard on that since uh, for the past six or seven months, and we deployed it on Monday. So it's been live and, and working very well. And uh, people are already asking me if they can have an API so that they can automate everything. And the uh, answer is, to which I tell them, oh, no. God, no. No. <laughs> what have you What have you done so wrong There's in your no enterprise that you need an API to fix reputation of multiple domains right. and IDs? <laughs> right, that's my question. <laughs> well, so I think a lot of the questions that we're getting, a lot of the tickets that we're getting are, hey, um, I have this list of, 300 things that I've downloaded from XYC threat intelligence vendor. And I want you to classify them all as bad Talos upload. I'm not even sure you're allowed to do that. Well, like license let me tell you what from, we're as a, as a, <laughs> I mean, but as a receiving <laughs> company, like having looked at a lot of yeah. threat intelligence licensing agreements. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Bob from parkmydomain.malware. Oh, that reminds me. I I came across something this week uh, that I think everybody's going to need to be aware of. Um, You know, because I know everybody's probably already heard of uh, DevOps, obviously, and you've probably heard of DevSecOps and things. Well, this week I came across AIOps. No. Okay. That's right. What do they do? Artificial intelligence operations. And what do they do? Up faster than real time. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, that. (laughs) You know, it does operations using artificial intelligence. So it makes decisions and then does things. Now, I don't see it turning out well. I don't know. Having done ops for a number of years, I kind of wonder if maybe <laughs> an AI might actually be able to clear that bar. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, what else was going on this week, Joel? So, we launched the new launched uh, reputation platform. Yep, launched that. That was a big launch. Uh, we also rolled out our our new uh, Talos intelligence messaging. So that's been a big thing. Um, and basically how to take Talos and threat intelligence and how we speak to it in terms of product to the market. And so we've been kind of, uh, you know, rallying the herd, as it were, around that and uh, what we're going to, our next steps forward and training people how to give that presentation and things like that. So that's kind of what we've been working on this week. Back to you. That has been, uh, if anybody, if anybody wants to know the real reason the last episode was late, it's because Joel's had me Correct. working on I had shit. Mitch not, working. I'm not going to lie. I know that's a shock for yeah. most of you, but. Oh, it was terrible. I never want to do that again. <laughs> Talk to you about that, Mitchell. It's not a good policy. <laughs> Matt, you are up, sir. What's been going on? Uh, I was sick for the last two days, so. I went down like a YouTube hole, like which is like my comfort place. Although I do have to say YouTube's algorithm is getting a little... Uh, Pushy? Mm, Wobbly? Uh, Suggestive? Extreme. Okay. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like you can end up with people with views that are like, oh, okay, I understand really quickly if you're not paying attention to what's going on. So I have learned how to um, reply to their suggestions with I'm not interested in this person and they may need to seek mental counseling. Um, <laughs> oh, you're going to so, share uh, that, that, that quick take with the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to know the, I want to know the video that shook you. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't have uh, my I mean, tolerance like for, the sun. Do you really? Yeah, not really. <laughs> but I came across, I came across a YouTuber. Her name is Lindsay Ellis, Lindsay with an A. And, uh, she does really smart analysis of movies, which I'm not really a movie person, but I'm very much, I'm interested in how stories are told. Like, uh, it's a, you know, I love movies. That's... I love, so movies. you would love her. I think you would love her videos and, um, they're very smart takes. Um, they're, they're, you know, 30 minutes or so. Uh, she did like three episodes on the Hobbit and what its impact was in New Zealand and why it was so difficult to make and why the storytelling process is different in those three movies than it was in the book and how adaptations of movies work. She's very smart person, but I think that's always very interesting to me is that one of, if you take a book and you make it into a movie, if you have one person who writes the book, who has a story in their mind and that's, that's what they're telling. Right. And then the person who does the movie, isn't that same person who does the screenwriting and stuff is like how that kind of interacts and changes, you know, well, and then I'll tell you what I'll, stories, I'll, I'll find this video. She did a video on the movie adaptation for Phantom of the Opera. 
yeah. um, which you know the author was very involved in, in the movie yeah. side of that, and right. it largely flopped. And, and what her analysis was basically was the language of theater is different than the language of movies, yes. and that adaptation needed to either play further into creating a sense in the movie that you'll you'll kind of accept some of the things that you accept in theater, or yeah. it needed to be adapted to learn the language of theater. And right. so, like, the other example she had was with Les Mis adaptation. The movie was super gritty, but you have this, this singing part of it that, that, like, bangs against the visual imagery they were getting. And that's why that movie didn't play well, necessarily. Right. She's very smart. She's, she's, and, and it's not a field that I've looked a lot of, but <clears throat> she taught me something that I wanted to, to tell you guys. So, I don't know if you remember... I don't know, like, Nigel, you're probably old enough. In 1987, on CBS, there was a television series called Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Oh, yes. I remember. Do you remember this? I remember that. Okay. So there were three writers for Beauty and the Beast. One was Howard Gordon and Alex Gansa, and they went on to write 24 and Homeland. And the third writer was George Hmm. R.R. Martin. No shit. Oh, what? what? Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. No was it really? blew my damn mind. <laughs> and what? I was like, all right, I'll tell the guys. Yeah, that's a good one. Wow. wow. I just don't remember all my favorite people was dying it? in that show. <laughs> so maybe yeah, that's like, why I didn't. No, it was a distinctly hopeful show as yeah. compared to anything else you're familiar with from him. I will say, if you like Les Mis in any way, shape, or form, there is Les a YouTube Miserables. video. That is Les yep. Mis. It's the tenth anniversary. It's called the tenth anniversary Dreamcast. Okay. And if you like Les Mis in any way, shape, or form, or singing, or theater, and you you should check that out because it yeah, will blow that your show mind. is amazing. It will I blow actually your mind. I actually own that show on iTunes or something. Yeah, it is. It's incredible one, that one. So, guys, since we last recorded, actually, it's been we're, we're getting back onto our regular schedule. So we have some some more we're, recent things to discuss here to, today. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <fine. laughs> we're giving it yeah. hell. The uh, but just the we just released wheel as we go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're already like thirty minutes in, I, and I we're just that. getting to the first topic. Oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. At least we're doing good. At least we can wrap this up in ten minutes. We got this. <laughs> So we had uh, we had some research come out. We want to talk today about uh, Emotet and, and Pylocky. Uh Let's start with Emotet. We saw this come back after the holidays. Took a little break for the holidays. Was well, that hold on, hold we on. Thought, this, is, this is something I wanted to talk about because I thought this was the funniest part about all this. So Emotet is a well-known malware. It's been around for years, and you know we're normally constantly seeing it, and we don't we don't typically do a lot of blog posts on it because it's just almost become like background noise of the internet these days, right? Uh, hands out, uh, you know, ransomware and whatnot. And we did see it doing some neat stuff, like it was checking for, you know, spam block list addresses and stuff like that. But what I thought was fantastic about this was the uh, the authors behind this campaign we've been tracking took off for the Orthodox Christmas holiday, which, you know, if if you look around, so they're from Greece. certain countries. Is, is that right? They're from Greece. Yeah, there's the the, the, the Greek Orthodox Christmas as opposed to the Eastern Orthodox. Or <laughs> uh, he has no idea, I, dude. <laughs> he didn't even know there were two kinds of Orthodox. <laughs> I two kinds. I'm not, I'm not gonna go into it. Two? <laughs> what? Uh, I'm not gonna discuss that in this forum. I, <laughs> God, I'll just blame it on no. Actually, I don't know. Do they have to? Do the Greek and the Eastern Orthodox have a different Christmas? 
holiday? I have no idea. Ask Craig. Craig will tell you. Yeah, Craig's the expert on Orthodox. Uh, let's holidays. see. Well, it's either yes or no. So let me spin the wheel again. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, they had the state. They, they were both the seventh. They're both the seventh. Yeah. So you know, it, we we rarely get insight into stuff like this where it's pretty clear that a malware author just takes the holiday off. I mean, it it happens with most major campaigns and most families. Right, it doesn't happen often. And so when we saw this, not only did we laugh pretty wholeheartedly, but we thought it was worthwhile to point out because while it doesn't, obviously it doesn't do enough to give you like actual attribution, but it does give you a reasonable idea of what region of the planet these folks are operating out of. Sorry, yeah, that, I that, popped a so that, there. The question I yeah. have there, Craig, is, is this thing is, you know, obviously you're not running it manually, right? You're not no. kind of, for me it shouldn't really go away at any time, right? Because it well, should just yeah. continue on, right? Why would it just suddenly stop? Well, because you got to swap up your payloads. You got to like, That's you know, what AI ops is for. Right. <laughs> Pay attention to the beginning of your opener. Stop giving them ideas, Jeez. Matt. <laughs> We're going to see a new, uh, new job listing on Dice tomorrow. <laughs> like needed AI ops for rapid software delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like an alias for that? Like, is there like a malware author's mailer? We, it's askpalos at cisco.com. <laughs> so when Emotech came back, are we are we seeing uh, any kind of different activity or just resume the same kind of stuff? Uh, you know, basically resuming the same type of stuff. You know, it's a similar type of ransomware, Word docs and whatnot. You know, I, I think this is one of those campaigns that's just regularly so successful. They're not really going to rock the boat. So it's just interesting because we saw it take this break around an Orthodox holiday, kind of, kind of tip in their hand as to, you know, maybe what part of the world they're operating maybe. out of or what holidays maybe. they observe. Let's put it that way. Sure. That's okay. More yeah, that's, yeah. That's fair enough. That's more, that's so more accurate. accurate definitely Korean Orthodox. <laughs> <laughs> so is, uh, w- when we saw that, we, we also saw a kind of con- concurrent thing, uh, something happening at the same time. We saw the, the rise of, uh, Pilocky. And this became kind of an issue with Pilocky ransomware. Right. Just to be clear, Pilocky was able to combat that. Well, Pilocky was a little bit before. Um, So Pilocky, I think we were working on this one even as far back as like. I was going to say, we were working on Pilocky for a while, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was a a bit of an endeavor. So this one, it wasn't particularly the campaign that we were interested in. To be clear, Pilocky is not Locky. Um, It's made to look similar, uh, but it's not the same thing. See, what they did is they took. Locky and he put pie in front of it. Right, because it's written in Perl. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. How, how is it different then? It's morning. <laughs> the jokes aren't getting any better from here. Oh, God. I was really trying to come you up with a way to like, you know, like bake good ransomware, <laughs> but I couldn't couldn't quite get there. Anyway, so. sorry. Back on track. I derailed Craig. My, my, it's my, my fault. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Uh, so, you know, obviously this guy had a pet snake, so we decided to call it Pilocky. Um, and so, you know, what took so long on this one is we were looking for a way to crack the encryption algorithm. You know, generally speaking, whenever we have a piece of ransomware, obviously you know, the holy grail that we always want is to find a way to decrypt it. Uh, and in this case, we got really lucky. We were able to not only find a way to decrypt it, but do so reliably. It did have a small caveat. And unfortunately, this does make the use case. <laughs> it's limited. a little caveat. Yeah. <laughs> a caveat the size of a, a, 
a Buick, but you know, yeah. um, you've got to have the initial command and control exchange with the server in order for the decryption tool to work properly. So on most large enterprise networks, that's probably not going to happen. Um, if you're in the situation where you're logging everything in and out of your data center, hey, you may have gotten really lucky and this could save your day if you get infected with this ransomware. Uh, but unfortunately, right now, it's the only way we know how to decrypt the files reliably. We kind of wanted to to pivot a little bit into the into the last part of the show here. We we do want to talk at the end about the DDR plugin, but first, one of the things we really want to spend a little bit of time on today. Um, so we've released our new messaging, and in that we were we talked a lot about VPN filter, and we also just recently released a post on R six hundred VPN. So the question that we were kind of discussing in our in our content meeting was why are these Soho devices getting owned up at such a degree? Is it because they're simple to own? Is it just because of the value of the vector? Why do we keep seeing these Soho type attacks? Yeah. You know, and you know, I don't want to throw IOT vendors under the bus here, right? The, the reason Again. this problem exists, you know, right? Yeah. Just kick them when they're down. Was this a new, <laughs> a new Craig, a new year, yes. a new leaf? <laughs> new year, new me. Kinder, kinder yeah. Craig. IOT um, vendors but, you know, are the, responsible. <laughs> the, the reason these keep happening, in my opinion, is just due to the fact that when these devices are designed, they're designed so that the price is low, right? Unfortunately, we're in a situation where consumers prefer devices that are cheap, uh, and they, you know, they lean that way over paying for more secure devices that are expensive. You know, a great way to think of it, it's the difference between like a home router and a small business router. Right. Obviously, a small business router isn't going to have the throughput of an enterprise class router, but it's going to be a little bit more hardened than the standard home router. Uh, and so I think that's why we keep running into these type of issues. You know, when Jared was going through this uh, R600 VPN, he found several pretty serious security issues. I think the average CVSS score was over a seven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 7.2 and 7.5 for all four. Uh, so these are, you know, remote code executions potentially possible. Uh, we did of course work with the vendor, you know, whenever we find these issues, our goal is not just to dump it out there. You know, unfortunately there are companies out there that adhere to a strict time window and it's literally like flipping a switch and they dump the data out on the internet you know, I understand why they do that. But personally, it's not a view that I agree with. You know, I think when the company's behaving responsibly and where we can, we really owe it to our users to work with the vendor to ensure the issues get patched. Now, obviously, you can't always do that. We can't have an infinite timeline, obviously. But, you know, as long as they're almost there and they're working towards it and getting there, we want to work with them and get them patched. And so that's what we did in this case. And all four of these issues were resolved so that if you are vulnerable, you know, go read the advisories, go get the updates and, you know, mitigate the voles or, you know, find something like a nice, sweet firepower appliance and protect your shit. Well, and to be fair, this uh, with the the R600 VPN, the, the TL uh, device, this was a vulnerability that was discovered. This wasn't something we saw an exploit for or saw being exploited in the wild. This is our, our Vuln discovery group that picked this one up and went to get it patched before a problem was discovered. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a total of four vulnerabilities, two remote code execution, and I think two denial of service. Is that correct? Oh, no, three remote code execution and denial of service. So yeah, way to go, Jared. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was one that we found. We don't have any reason to believe it was being exploited in the wild. You know, we worked with the vendor. So the patch is out there. Hopefully everyone had a chance to patch and that, you know, now that the issue is public, people will know to not get exploited. Uh, and let's, let's not forget, Carl also found one of them. 
Way to go, Carl. There's a, there's a lot more to the the Soho stuff than than this kind of thing, though. And I think, and this is really, you know, kind of a tip tip of the iceberg stuff, right? So your Soho stuff is, you know, small office, small office, home office gear. And Cisco make a bunch of this stuff too, right? And the nice thing is that if you have some Soho gear from Cisco, a little guy that is much less expensive than Big Iron, right? Because you, you just don't need Big Iron everywhere. Um, you put it in a, a remote office or whatever, and it fits in to your ecosystem nicely. It plays well with all of its other friends who are much bigger and bigger and you know, better, <laughs> as it were. Um, but... It's not a plug and play device. This is not plug it in, forget it, right? It needs looking after. It needs setup. It needs to be configured properly, right? And you need to be able and and remote configuration is extremely important with these things because they are remote. It's not something that's sitting, you know, in in the basement, right, of your building. It's not there. You can't go and easily put your hands on it. Right, you've got it's it's out somewhere just by its very nature of what you're going to do with it and what you're using it for. It is something that you will have to manage remotely and do it effectively. And if you don't set that up properly, and you don't make sure that you know you you are the 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 only people who have access to it remotely, you're going to have issues, right? Because that's where people are going to you know kind of sweep around, look for those little Soho devices. Oh, can I manage it? Is it is the management interface available to me across the internet? Is it is it protected or not? And if not, hey, here we go. Away we go, right? The leaders in that space, uh, you know, Cisco's Meraki equipment. Uh, look at like uh, Ubiquity, the Unify type equipment. Like I think that those type of devices for maybe that's higher end Soho. Like maybe that's pushing a, a mid tier, not a small office. I don't that's know. Still but Soho. like, yeah, I those, mean, look, those devices have come a long, long way yeah, I mean, in the last few years, but you're in also, terms of ease of management yeah. and in terms of what they can accomplish and how, making sure somebody's using them maybe a bit more, more correctly. But there's than an just enormous plug and play. user base of the pre good years of stuff. Yes, so this, absolutely. That's, I think what we're seeing, and, and we'll see it again in another form, is this coming together of scale, opportunity, and impact, right? Yeah. So there, there's a massive distribution of these in, in all different places. And they were... And it's the keys of the kingdom too, right? And, I mean, it's the heart of the network. And in some places, it can be they can be in very critical locations. And they were largely built at a time when that part of the industry wasn't paying attention to security. It's very similar to why Windows was so roastable in the early to mid-2000s, right? Is, right. You know, a lot of what we're seeing on Windows now is, is more... Uh, social engineering through phishing mm-hmm. attacks. You're not getting what what you saw previously, which was just like client side after client side after client side delivered. And so, in that period, again, you had a massive distribution built with largely insecure software, mm-hmm. and there was a massive focus on it. That's what we're seeing in the IoT space now. And there will be something, you know, five years from now, a new industry. Maybe it's AI ops or something that's like <laughs> was built quickly with, with where yeah. security was blockchain ops. Security wasn't was a wasn't a concern, or we'll do security in phase two, or 
you know, whatever, or, or this will never be connected to the internet. That sequence of thoughts will happen again with some other product set. It'll get wide pickup and we're going to be here again. And it, it's similar to what we see in apps when we see insecure apps broadly distributed. It's about scale and ease of compromise. Yeah, and it's also talking about those those um, those older devices. You know, there's nothing wrong with a lot of these devices either that are, are a little bit you know longer in the tooth. So you can go and pick up a Cisco, you know, like 1700 series router for like 40 or 50 bucks on the internet. Well, when those things came out, they're a little bit more expensive than that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with the, with that piece of hardware. It's a very useful, you know, nice little router you can use and, and easy to manage and all that stuff. It does right. a really good job. Um, and, you know, and people will pick those up, but it's still older gear and running on older software and stuff. And it's whether or not that you, you then go and spend the time to up, update it, upgrade it, whatever, you know, get the latest and greatest patches of software and all those kind of things on it, et cetera, you know, and... and are you going to do that, do it properly, keep it up to date, get, make, configure it properly and all that carry on, right? Like I said, this is not this is not plug and play gear and it's abundant, right? And it, and it has to be and it will always be there. People are, are using these little routers and, and uh, until people learn how to patch these things and, and protect edge devices just like you would anything else, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to have these problems. I mean, I IoT mean, is one thing and then routers are another thing. It's just, it's the, the same solution. Well, it's where they come together. Things. That's the, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the same solutions that we would see for so basically everything. It's just, that I don't, I guess I don't understand the difference in between, you know, you need to patch your desktop, you know, you need to update your phone, you know, you need to update <laughs> this, that, and the other thing, but why don't you, pay the same attention to your switches and routers and anything I mean, else. Oh, come on. That's, I mean, that's easy. You know that's also is, right? part, of the, that's part of the underlying problem, right, is um, they're not in your face right. saying, hey, now's yeah. the time. You, I've downloaded a thing in the background. Can I upgrade? But the other side of it is that what is different with these and what is somewhat more dangerous than what we saw with Windows is when your Windows was compromised, you know, you would get at, at that time – you would get slowdowns and pop-ups and weird behavior, and it was very aggravating for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of pushback on on Microsoft, and and there was a single vendor who who responded in in in, in a way to address the issue. My concern is, and and someone alluded to it earlier. I think I think maybe Nigel is. I'm not sure the market is going to correct the IoT security issue as quickly as it did with the Windows piece. Because when your router is compromised, provided it continues to pass packets, you don't give a shit. And you probably don't even know. That's the point I was trying to make to Joel earlier is I think for most people, right, even if you're tech savvy and you go to the trouble of buying a Soho router and you set it up, well, that's it. As long as the Internet works, it's fine. It's not vulnerable. It's not compromised. And so just like you said, right, even if it is compromised, as long as they don't actually fundamentally alter the functionality, not only does the user not know, I would argue many don't care. Well, and we saw the danger inherent in in that kind of thinking with VPN filter. We saw a half million edge devices compromised. 
<laughs> I'm not, not saying that's the right thinking. Yeah. And those <laughs> devices, I mean, if you think about that, a half million edge devices represents how many millions of actual end users. And there's got to right. be two, three users behind each of those devices, at least, even in a super small mm-hmm. environment. And, you know, then you have threats that have the ability to pass uh, additional malware, or additional payloads like on to endpoints from that infection vector, from that router then you have a you have a huge problem like there's a lot of people running around that may not even know that they've been owned up just because they bought like Nigel saying what they feel is a plug and play device and things still work so well, there me, must me, not be an issue let me throw out a little scenario that may involve an embarrassing story about myself um you know when i was oh, at the malware lab so so it's a story it's about good. craig yeah, yeah, no, that's no. weird. <laughs> this is where I actually get to speak, right? Uh, so I was setting up the malware lab, and you know, at the time, I'd never actually set up any Cisco routers or switches, you know, myself. Uh, and so, you know, I was setting it all up, reading the different docs, got everything working, everything was great. And I imagine that's a lot like you know a home user when they go buy a fancier router than normal, and they actually get it working, right? And so after you do that, you remember what you did for maybe three days, right? And then. Let's hypothetically say you forget to write mem, and then three weeks later the power goes out. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand the pain a home user may feel when they come back to that device later, and they not only don't remember how to set it up, but they don't remember how to update it. Uh, and so I, I wonder if that's a lot of the problem. Maybe vendors need to take it upon themselves to make those updates even easier. I mean, ideally automatic, but if not automatic, very very easy. Well, yeah, and that's what I, that's what I was going to say because I'm kind of. Um, uh, I'd be interested in knowing how Meraki does its upgrade updates. Um, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, because uh, I got the sense. Beautiful. Say that again. You just log into the portal and this is an updates available. It will happen automatically in one week. If you would like to do it now, click here. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I never log into my Meraki portal. All right. And, but every time, like I just added one, another wireless uh, access point and everything was up to date. But I never get the sense that I have dropped any packets or anything. So it's not what, what I'm mm-hmm. saying is, my point then is, it's not impossible to have a networking device that updates in a manner that is transparent right, yeah, right, to, right. to the services that it's providing. Yep. And if you're, I think, you know, I don't know how to, and, and for cloud services, that's expected, right? And so Meraki, for those that don't know, is is got a heavy cloud component that manages all your devices and, and you don't have to touch anything. And so I don't know how you do that for something like an endpoint um, or a on-premise router, like an iOS router or something. But, but going forward, figuring out how to transparently and automatically patch these devices, your light bulbs, your refrigerator, your television, that you cannot, you, you cannot put that onus on the end user. There's right. a tweet the other day. Um, about someone advocating for more humanities um, majors in security. And I fully support it because to a large extent, the underlying flow of the problem in security right now is not technical. It's psychological. It is, it is human-centric. Um, you're not going to fix, quote-unquote, security with any technology. Right? It's about understanding how large groups of people work inside of technology being honest about where those large groups of people are going to fail and then addressing those fail points, whether or not there's a way for you to realistically say, oh, well, it's on the user to do that update. It's irresponsible to do it that way at scale. 
especially on the consumer side. You cannot expect consumers to worry about security because we know from the last 30 years, they don't. Mm -hmm. So you have to build your product in a way that takes care of itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think think Meraki devices, someone correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can set the time when it updates, but I think by default it does it like in the middle of the night at like an odd hour or something. I forget. Oh, it should know. It should know when it's, uh, when there are, you know, no active clients. Yeah. Yeah, you know, no active clients on it or whatever, or at least amount, and then it will do it. It's kind mm-hmm. of like you know. I mean, I I don't use the Meraki ones. I I have um, you know the Apple devices that they don't make anymore, um, but those things keep themselves updated nicely, and that's exactly what they do, right? They just hang out. Yeah, we should. And, uh, when it's quiet, then they update themselves. Yeah, so we should have one of the Meraki guys come on the podcast. I'm, I'm looking at it. One of those uh, guys come on. I ha- so basically, it has a upgrade window that you could suggest. So I basically tell mine to update at midnight on Thursdays for some reason. I don't. I don't know why I picked that. Um, and it'll automatically do that. <laughs> All right, guys, we know you when may to not note it. to sell for you. Midnight, you yeah, midnight Thursday <laughs> oh, yeah. for Craig. <laughs> my internet's gonna go what down was that IP address for that router again. Yeah. Thirty-eight seconds. There's your t- chance. Um, <laughs> That's the whole window. <laughs> but uh, otherwise it does it automatically it's super painless you know i think it's a great example of someone who really <laughs> thought through the process and obviously we're not saying that because it's a cisco product i mean we would be pretty honest mm-hmm. about it if we didn't like certain features of it uh, but you know i like it it's clearly made to be the least painful it's got good messaging it shoots me an email and i can just ignore it and it'll do it automatically uh, so i've been pretty happy with it yeah i've been I've used that one. I love it. It's it is beautiful. I've used the uh, Ubiquity gear, the Unify gear, and that Trader. is also like super duper easy to use, simple interfaces, and kind of takes care of itself in the background uh, a similar way. I would think that they're competitive devices. I'm sure, but I mean there there is. I'm saying is there is a class of device out there now that. Is, has kind of addressed some of these issues yeah. and at least takes care of some of the problems. Yeah, but they're not the $40 router you get at Best Buy. <laughs> Correct. Right. And that's, no. that's right. the closer to the problem. $400 router with a $500 or $1,000 annual license mm-hmm. on yeah, it. Yeah, and security can't just be for rich people, right? You, you right. have to, because, <laughs> and here's the deal. Because Tell that to the Senate. Twitter, Twitter on the East Coast was taken down by a whole bunch of consumer-grade yeah. routers that had been compromised. Right. Yep. You know, if if you let the people who can't afford good gear install a whole bunch of shit gear, eventually it's going to bite you in the ass. So I don't know how you get, you know, how you get to the point where you're supplying secure gear to everybody, because when you put out three million shitty endpoint devices that are going to be on the Internet, they're going to be somebody else's very quickly. And, and, and you just you cannot. We cannot continue this cycle of, of saying, oh, well, the user has to patch, the user has to do this. When we say you have to patch, we're talking about enterprises that have to make you know, microsecond transaction decisions and can't afford to drop a packet and are mm-hmm. making those kind of decisions where they have to like test extensively their gear because billions of dollars of revenue are riding on whether or not something functions. Those are the people we're talking about patching. When we're yeah. talking about my parents or my wife or my kids, they should never have to patch a single damn thing mm-hmm. right. because Absolutely. they won't. It's not what right. they worry right. about. It's not but happen. there's millions of them, and we can't keep deploying millions of insecure things that no one's managing, which is where we are right now. Well, the average end user has 
one little box, one gateway box. It's their modem, their router, their Wi-Fi, you know, their, their wireless router, all, all wrapped into one box. It has a coax cable on one side and the Xbox plugged into the other. Yep. Like they have that <laughs> one thing, right? They have this one gateway device that does everything for them. And it's effectively managed by the cable company as far as they're concerned. Yep. Oh, and that, that's Nobody even knows how to log into that box, flawlessly. the average user. Yep. So, I mean, if they can't make that process transparent, that's going to cover 80, 85% of use cases for the average end user is they're just waiting for their, for their fiber provider or their cable provider to update their shit for them. That's, the modem is obviously theirs. The router needs to be updated by them as well. Yeah. I mean, but that, again, that's, this is a problem that is known and is solved, right? You can you know, have that remote management done and do it properly. What's not going to happen, like Matt's saying, is all of the other bits and pieces right. that are sit behind your, that. Your webcams. All, your all of that stuff. Photo yeah. sharing shit. Yeah. Your, oh, you know, yeah. your fridge, for goodness sakes, or your television <laughs> set, right? Those things. Do they still well, like those think, IoT fridges? I mean, I would think that all the things like these fridges and the television sets and whatnot, all these things that kind of run on stuff like Android, right? That would be a fairly easy thing to think about. Hey, we could automatically update this thing. Yeah, I, you would I, think so. I, I mean, I, I'm so I'm not I'm not being intent. I'm not intentionally being sarcastic. I'm I'm you know I'm no, saying it's. It is true, yes. It, yeah. It's something that you can automate, right? I mean, as an administrator, you spend probably 90-odd percent of your time and your job automating the things that you do, right, so that you don't right. have to do any work, right? Well, if you can do that, you can do it with pretty much anything. And But there has to be a driving force behind it, sure, right? And the driving force for, for an administrator is, well, I, I don't want to keep doing this all the time. It's very boring, so I need to automate it. Well, what's the driving force for keeping your television set? updated since this is the year of the linux desktop can we automatically <laughs> is this is this also infrastructure week actually joel i i'm gonna go out on a limb i'm gonna say this is the year of the solaris oh, desktop. you're going all the way there all right <laughs> yeah wow that would you know what that would be fabulous mitchell i mean so no i i i kind of make i kind of make i make that joke to actually kind of ask a point so like uh the the operating system, and this is absolutely no surprise to literally anybody that knows me. The the operating system that I use is 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 OS X, right? And that, as of the Mojave update, is now automatically updating, completely transparent in the background. Um, and as as of iOS twelve, your phone and your iPads and all that kind of stuff will automatically update in the middle of the night once it downloads the thing, and it's on a charger. But my question is is do Linux desktops and Windows desktops, do they also do the same thing? I have absolutely no knowledge. I believe, yes, you can do that. Absolutely, you can do that. Okay. I mean, yeah, if you put in crontab, yum, update, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. that, well, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, that shouldn't be the step. <laughs> I know you're kind of making that as a joke, but, like, is that the step that you have to do, or can you actually well, click well, a button think, that says, update th this bitch automatically? Yeah, but how do you think your Mac does it? <laughs> It does it without, it, what he's saying is now it does it automatically. It does it. Yeah. I, what I'm saying is the Mac, the user experience of the Mac is it does it. Like you don't yes. have to, you don't have to. So you don't have to specifically set it up. Right. To it do just that. does it. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Right. Does the Linux desktop just do it or do you have to select it? And do you have to patch the kernel and. You know. I, I don't know. I use Fortran in a large format printer. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it takes so long to get the podcast out. 
the audio I'd editing software. On he's got to he's got to send the print out to Apple to have them put it into the cloud. That's right. Garage. <laughs> I tell you what. With the uh, you were talking about you were talking about refrigerators and thermostats and televisions. The greatest security technology ever invented is NAT. And I was sitting here like because all of that stuff can't be directly accessed from the internet, right? Unless unless you've gone out of your way to be stupid, which you know <laughs> people people do. But what I'm also <laughs> sitting here is the biggest threat to internet security right now is probably IPv6. Oh, uh, you know what? I 100% agree with that. Because IPv6, they're going to tell you, hey, there's enough IP addresses, so everything uh, can, can have its own connected. public writable IP address. It's all good now, guys. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Oh. Now my refrigerator can be on the internet. Awesome. Awesome. I remember sweet. when everything was, was publicly writable on the internet. In the days before no, RSC, that's because there were ten computers on the internet, and you had two of them. <laughs> <laughs> you and three of your buddies from DARPA that's don't right. count. Like, no, but I mean there are ways there are ways to do IPv6 correctly as well. But yes, the danger is that people are not. There's ways to do lots of things correctly. You know? <laughs> we don't do any of them. That's right. <laughs> They're just because not going doing to do it correctly. It is hard, and then I yes. can't ping my refrigerator from work and have it tell oh. me if I need cucumbers. No, so I have to have it all on the internet. I like how you went to cucumbers instead of like milk. That's funny. That's, well, <laughs> things are important cucumbers. to Matt. Yeah. You, like, you gotta understand. No. I still posit that the single most important advanced, I guess, security technique for a home user is to learn how to segment your network. If you can have a cesspool of bullshit devices... Oh that don't touch the right, and you treat it as such, you treat it as a swamp of, you know, like crap, then your whole network. Uh, what if you, what if, what if router vendors like supplied like a cesspool VLAN auto configured and it's yeah, like, Hey, I've detected you have a light bulb. I've put it in your cesspool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be like the first time your browser offered you a cookie. You're like, what is happening right now? Why does my computer want to give me a cookie? <laughs> I want to click on a cookie now, <laughs> but that's, that's the, uh, uh there's lots of routers nowadays. In fact, I'd probably wager that most, you know, home routers have uh, the land, like the the protected land and the guest land, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the, it's a good idea. And even like in corporate environments, I've seen that I happen to work around. They they have a corporate land and a guest land, right? And that's that's a good idea, man. Well, say a lot of those boxes come with. A, you know, if you go and buy a, a, an upgrade, you go and buy a Netgear router or a, you know, a Linksys router or whatever, it'll, a, a lot of times the, 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 even the mid tier, the low mid tier devices will come with a guest yep. network configured yep. or like auto configured for you as you set it up, as it takes you through the, the, the GUI to, to set the device up. So why are we not training people to put their bullshit devices into that guest network? Or call it something. It's just like IoT device. We're network. literally doing that right now. I think that's what we're doing. <laughs> Are we doing something right now? We're trying. we're trying. I mean, we're doing the thing. I don't know. No, that do that. Do what Mitch just I think said. most of the people who listen to us automatically already know how to do that kind of stuff. We did have one other thing we wanted to talk about today. Uh, while we're you know talking to a. High level audience that's already telling us that they know everything that we're saying. We did release uh, a new tool, something that is net new. Uh, Holger actually uh, sent it, put this post up, uh, what, just two days ago, I think. And we have a, a tool called DDR, Dynamic Data Resolver. It's a plugin for Ida Pro. Yes, it is. 
And we just released that uh, as a free open source tool. You can check out the blog to, to read the post on and that. And automatically install Paul's color scheme. Oh my God, that would be <laughs> oh, You do that with every plugin. Paul, can we do that? Wait, can you outsource color plug uh, color setups? Or outsource. Can you export color setups in ID in yeah, ID Pro? Of course. I'm sure you can export. All right, a let's palette, do yeah. that. Let's let's export Paul's palette. And Have it as a download. It. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he does good work. Like maybe there's something about the colors that keep <laughs> in mind. Yeah. So uh, well, let's talk about the tool, Craig. Uh, what yeah. exactly is DDR? Could you just call so Craig a tool? That's not nice. That's not well, nice. Well, I mean, <laughs> if the shoe fits, if if he fits in the toolbox. <laughs> I mean, at a, at a really high level, this is basically a client-server model uh, way to spy on memory. One malware executes so that you can look for whatever data you're looking for. Uh, kind of the goal with this is to have it be you know a client-server model so that the malware can't detect that you're monitoring it. Um, you know, presumably most people in our audience, but just in case they don't know that. If malware can detect that it's being monitored or run in a sandbox, very, very often it behaves differently. Uh, it can be anything from changing the execution path to simply not running. Sneaky. Super sneaky. Uh, and so naturally, when Holger wrote this post, uh, he released like a 55-slide deck. <laughs> every <laughs> aspect of it that we may, we may end up making public. Holger's a very, very detailed <laughs> researcher. Very detailed research. Hey, Detail-oriented is a good feature of a new research. He likes when the trains run on time. Yes, he does. <laughs> so just so the audience is aware, when we release things like this, usually we make a three to five slide deck internally for people to use. Holger's decks almost <laughs> religiously exceed 35 to 40 slides, even, <laughs> even for like a 400-word post. But you know, you know when oh, you get yeah. through that deck, you know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always great. It's just like... You know, five would have been fine. <laughs> uh, so, so this time we had to make a video. If you would like to see how to use DDR, which, by the way, Wendy's graphic is amazing. Um, check out the video. It'll walk you through some of the cool features and give you some examples on how to use it. Is Wendy's graphic Holger playing Dance Dance Revolution? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call a missed opportunity. It could be. <laughs> would you like it to be? Would I you mean, yeah, like it to 100%. Be? <laughs> you're, one, you're one CR away from making it happen. Easy peasy. <laughs> Consider it done. I watched the video as well. I don't know who did that voiceover, but man, that sounded smooth. <laughs> so this looks for um, data that changes. Like Obviously, as data changes as the malware runs, it's looking for different levels of things like inside the tool, you can do a um, just like showing like the top level calls uh, or you can do like more detailed searches that like really look for every little bit and bite of data uh, coming across. So there's, there's several different ways you can use the tool. What was the impetus? Do we have a, a why did he make this? I guess was my question. I mean, it's, it's Holger. I'm sure he found a single sample that bothered him because it detected him trying to monitor memory. And so he wrote an entire tool for that one sample. <laughs> so you can set like you're looking for a specific string or you're watching a particular memory address changing. Is that, These are the kind of things that you can look at. Because you released it while I was sick, so I haven't read it. <laughs> oh, and, and trace it through the execution path. It's got a lot of cool options. It even integrates with IDA, so you have it all in the menu, you know, the right-click menu. 
Nice. Uh, so you can just literally go to, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely a tool for the more reverse engineers, but you know, for, I think the people who do that kind of thing will find it very useful. Awesome. So check that out. You can uh, get to that. Like I said, there's the, the blog post that's up and that'll be in the show notes and you can link to the tool um, to clone or, or download the repository uh, from that blog post. We have already been going a bit over time today. So Nigel, let's start with you uh, and get a, a closing thought and a parting shot on today's episode. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think don't forget back in 2005, the Reds went and won their <laughs> fifth European champions uh, league title. Um, and we're about to march on and, and do that again this season, obviously, because, you know, that's just the way things are. Uh, don't forget to uh, set your DVRs for tomorrow's game or get yourself up with the, you know, crack of 10 uh, to watch it live. It'll be on television here in the United States of America. And um, Mitch, that's 10 yeah. in the morning. Oof. 10, hey, also, the 10 a.m. Mitch, when are you going to explain to Nigel how this hall works and the fact that that game is over by the time you even pull up the samples to to start editing? I'm hoping that one day Mitchell will just, will just you know, get some work done and get this released on a Friday after we record it. Is that not going to work for us? No, tomorrow? Release tomorrow? And yeah. besides, Nigel, you know this full well. We're going yes. into Gasparilla season. My weekends are going to be pretty shot here. Oh, jeez. Uh, Nigel, That's what's true, happening, yeah. what's oh, happening two yeah. Saturdays from now? What's the following oh, weekend? Oh, so we've got so we've got a week off, um, and then we're back in action. I, I forget who we're playing on that one. We have a bit of time, but we're... As we approach February, we're at, that brings us into the um, uh, Champions League again. But our next one, I guess, for people who are who eventually will get to hear this podcast, um, <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there. Yeah, yeah, I like so how you both bought time for you to be... Google the schedule and picked on Mitch with the nice. same thing. <laughs> I like yeah, how so speaking. I, yeah, yeah. So our know, next one, very we're actually going to be so. When his we're actually going to be away loads. from home, um, and we're actually going to be playing against West Ham at the London Stadium there on the in fe- on February the fourth is the, the next one. Yeah, playing the Hammers, right? And then after that, we've got Bournemouth. We'll be back at home for Bournemouth, and then we get to Champions League time. When we when when are we recording live at Anfield? Um, we should arrange that, yeah, as soon as we possibly can. Um, we'll have to see what, what we've got coming up and when we can go there and do that because it'll be wonderful Cisco. trying out this conversation with yeah. uh, with another 50,000, 55,000 of your closest friends. That's it's right. going to be fantastic. I think the Cisco Liverpool office needs a visit. <laughs> I, think, I think Cisco needs a Liverpool office. Well, wherever we go, there will be the office. That's where the office is. Right. Craig, parting <laughs> shot, closing thought. Um, I think IoT is going to keep us gainfully employed for the next couple of decades. Um, <laughs> also, many of our adversaries. So I think it would be worth everyone's while to make sure IoT devices are minimally exposed. You know, there's probably no reason to have them. Put them on the blockchain. The yeah. Oh. And if you can, turn on automatic updating. And if somebody says blockchain, just punch them in the face. <laughs> Joel, parting shot, closing thought. Hey, thanks, everybody. Uh, for sticking in with us through this entire podcast endeavor. Uh, we really appreciate it and, uh, keep listening and we love you guys. And, uh, I love the notes that we get from listeners 
I got a got a text message yesterday from a friend of mine who's not a Cisco employee uh, about how much he loved the podcast. And I, I actually got a text message from a Cisco employee yesterday as well that that he nearly spit out his coffee through his nose when I was talking about certain when, I, when we were talking about certain things on the on last week's podcast. Though you laughed uh, at your jokes. And shit. Well, in general, no, but the, no, uh, no, no. <laughs> it takes all kinds, Mitch. Yeah, it does. But hello to all of our, our listeners. And we thank each and every one of you for sticking with us. Matthew, go ahead and take us home. What is your uh, parting shot for us today? And I would like to note that you have not like raised your voice in anger once this episode. Uh, I think Craig's been on his best I- behavior. <laughs> we'd like to thank craig for being reasonable good job craig uh, i'm watching trump's twitter <laughs> so as a present to the listeners mitch will be placing into the show notes a link to the liverpool wheelchair celebration that i put into our webex teams thing so everybody can look <laughs> it, at it it is a beautiful um, thing i've watched that video four times <laughs> it's pretty hilarious there's a dude that comes out of there like he was fired out of his wheelchair <laughs> so I hope you all enjoy that, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yay, a couple weeks. So thank you for joining us. Remember to share the podcast. Leave us a review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Google Play. What's our next place that we're all going to be together? It'll be um, it'll be the TTRS, Mitchell. Uh, all right. Well, it's going to be a while before we do anything together. And remember... The Talos Threat Research Summit call for papers is still open. That link will be in the show notes as well. So until next time, cheers. TTFN. (laughs) Are you doing that thing where you're like, show how old you are by putting a phrase in that no one understands?